Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The no drama just adventures like, dude, guys, can't we just get back to the fun of it? Like, let's just enjoy the sport, man. We all just want to check out sometimes. And floating on the water and you know, chasing the next catch, uh, that should be the time where there's just nothing else in your mind. You're just doing what you do and you're, you're, you're chasing fish. It's just the great escape it is what it's all about. This is Josh Thomas and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. Got a great one for you. You know, walking around the iCast show over the last few years, I've been able to kind of look at a at a company or see a company kind of come onto my radar and then watch that company grow either really fast or maybe some other companies kind of go out of business. But occasionally, you'll see a company that just kind of pops up out of nowhere and then just seems to set the world on fire. And I'm always looking as somebody who's started some businesses myself and and keeps a number of businesses going, I'm kind of wondering, like, what's going on there? Like, is that just a good idea or is a good idea enough or is there some serious personal sacrifice there? Is this some kind of a big investment group that has dropped a bunch of capital into someone's idea? Like, what what's going on there? And, you know, I kind of do a little digging. In this case, I did find a company that I was very, very interested in. Vibe Kayaks seems to have come out of nowhere and then all of a sudden is everywhere. I see these things all over the place and they, you know, the track record of their sales explains why. They have taken off. They have taken off like a rocket ship. They went from $250,000 in sales in their first year to $2.5 million the next year. And in year four, they already broke the $10 million mark. Now, to me, that is just incredible. I 
I don't know many other businesses that are growing that fast. So I wanted to really figure out what in the world happened. <laughs> and uh, so I tracked him down and I found uh, the founder, Josh Thomas of Vibe Kayaks. And I sat down with him at his place. And you know what? He told me the whole story. And it's just like I thought. It wasn't without personal sacrifice. It was an, a true entrepreneurial story that um, I believe I certainly learned a lot from. And I believe that if you're someone, uh, well, I know these people are out there. I get emails from them all the time. They're thinking about changing careers. They're thinking about starting something new. And they're thinking about getting out of this career that they don't particularly like and getting into a career in fishing or hunting or the outdoors where they're super passionate. And, you know, that's a that's an admirable thing. People say, follow your passion. That's awesome. But does it come with personal sacrifice? Does it cut in on your fishing time? Are you going into the fishing and hunting world so that you can fish and hunt more? Because maybe that's not what's going to happen. And uh, this story from Josh was fantastic. If you're somebody that wants to start a business, you're somebody that wants to make a change, you're going to learn a lot from his story. I know that I did. And uh, looking forward to bringing you this one from my new friend, Josh Thomas of Vibe Kayaks. All right, Josh, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for sitting down with me. No, thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. I liked the tour. You got a lot of stuff going on here. We're in Kennesaw, Georgia. Is that where you're from? Uh, not from, but that's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> you we're, found the door, so you've definitely yeah. found Kennesaw. You said you were already familiar with the area. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, uh, come here for a number of reasons, um, mostly being just down the street is the stadium where the professional lacrosse, where the team plays. And so I've I've come here a number of times for clinics and um, to watch the, the professional lacrosse. One of the most uh, disappointing moments of my son's life, I think, happened at that stadium. We He came here to see this hotshot lacrosse player, and he was supposed to have this big signing after the game, and, and he didn't show up. It oh, was that's pretty disappointing. Bummer. Yeah, it was pretty disappointing. It also made me realize that if you ever have a signing that is advertised, you better show up. Right, right. Because <laughs> people get pretty upset. Um, so anyway. Riding in the streets of Kennesaw. Yeah, it looked like it was going to be a riot, in the at least in the stadium. So Vibe Kayaks. What's the story, man? How did how did this happen? How did Vibe Kayak start? That's a uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we uh, we started uh, uh, December of 2013 is when we really uh, kicked off this brainchild. Um, actually, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, what got me into kayak fishing in the first place? I guess yeah, um, I was a um, bass boat guy doing a uh, you know chasing bass, and my neighbor. Well, before this is like 12 years ago or something. Uh, my neighbor for uh, several years was trying to get me into kayak fishing. And at the time, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, I've got uh, I got the bass boat and I'm running around you know, doing the bass boat thing. And the idea of, you know, fishing from a plastic bottle just really didn't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> where, to me. Where is this that's ha- that you're doing this? Doing the... Uh, well, when you're first getting started and you're at this point in your life, where, where are you living? Yeah, in this Kennesaw? is here. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was in Marietta, not too far from All here. Right. So he kept trying to get me into kayak fishing. Not only was he a kayak fisherman, but he was also a, a striper fisherman. So, you know, when you're doing a bass tournaments, you know, stripers just get in the way of, uh, you know, a bass, you know, yeah. when it's uh, when it's game time. So it's like, man, you want me to you want me to go fish from a plastic bottle with you and chase whitefish? Like, man, I just, I don't know about this. So did a couple of years, uh, finally rolled up to Lanier with him. And uh, I wasn't 10 minutes off from the boat ramp, hook about a 15-pound striper from the kayak. 
And that was my first sleigh ride from the kayak. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, uh, kayaks are awesome and bass are stupid. I want whitefish <laughs> and I want kayaks in my life. That that will complete the uh, my mission here. Really? It just took one fish? That one fish. It, was, it wasn't so much the fish. It was the... Um, the sleigh ride and being uh, more intimate to the water, hmm. um, being able to use much lighter tackle. You know, you're not uh, you're not pulling the fish to the boat, but your your boat becomes your drag system. Right. Uh, and then realizing, like, wait a minute, you know, I can step up, uh, step up. I can step down my gear uh, when chasing big game. Mm-hmm. So um, after that, I got completely hooked on the whole kayak fishing thing. And what's the biggest fish I can put in my lap? Uh, Forget uh, chasing slot reds. Let's go after bull reds in the kayak. Let's go after <laughs> sharks. Let's go, you know, offshore doing the king mackerel thing. Uh, whatever you can do to catch big fish on like 20-pound line or less was uh, was the game. Yeah. I got completely hooked on that. Yeah. And so did you sell your bass boat? Yeah, actually. So uh, I sold the bass boat and I got a center console. <laughs> <laughs> so to, you could uh, carry the kayak? Well, no, so I was doing both, right? So I was still brand new to the uh, the kayak fishing scene then. So um, I uh, was I was actually still borrowing his kayak for the longest time. And I sold the bass boat, got a center console. Uh, so I was doing a lot of whitefish hunting um, and borrowing his kayak as much as I could. And that was kind of giving me, you know, um, you know I can go scout for uh, for stripers, you know, mm-hmm. cover a lot more water in the uh, in the boat and then turn around and chase them with the kayak is what I was doing back then. And, um, you know, actually kind of a um, uh, funny thing is I've actually never purchased a kayak before. <laughs> I mean, I've purchased, you know, 10 to 15,000 of them a year now, uh, yeah. you know, when we're manufacturing it. But um, so I was borrowing his kayak. And uh, then I found out that hey, you know, there's a you know a pretty big uh, uh, kayak fishing tournament scene. So I was like, actually, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, when you're competing in bass boats, it's it's about who's got skill is certainly uh, an aspect of it, but equipment is is key, right? Who's yeah. got the fastest boat? Who can get there sooner? Who's got you know the eye pilot? Who's got you know whatever gear or equipment? Kayak fishing really levels that playing field. Um, it's you all have to stay in play. You have a limited uh, range, and it really comes down to the skill of the angler. Uh, so that really intrigued me. So um, I was borrowing his kayak, uh, doing a kayak fishing tournaments, and then I won a kayak in a tournament and gave him his kayak back, and then um, uh, won another kayak and won another kayak and started trading up, you know, my kayaks just from winning them in tournaments. <laughs> Is uh, yeah, kind of how I got into kayak fishing side of things, uh, and then I just enjoyed it so much that my Center console started collecting some dust, wasn't getting used quite as much as it used to, uh, and just really kind of sold my soul to the uh, the kayak fish gods, if you will. <laughs> um, so you seemed like you had a lot of time at this. What were you doing for a living? So I was the uh, creative production manager um, at a publication studio, uh, and I did that for 15 years, uh, managing um, uh, creative direction and production runs on uh, catalogs and uh, magazines. Oh, yeah? Just any kind of catalogs yeah uh, so we worked with um uh, benchmark brands which was a um zappos largest competitor mm-hmm. uh, we did their catalog work we did um a lot of work in the golf industry a lot of work in the fashion industry um, so did you have a background education in that yep that's uh i majored in um graphic communication where'd uh, you go art institute of atlanta okay and then so with that like getting into that from college did is that the direction you wanted to go or like you were kind of 
pulled there because you were creative or that was my uh, that was my dream i always wanted to be a editorial designer magazine designer um not always but um from a point at which it mattered yeah. right you know i'm sure when i was six i wanted to be an astronaut or something but um <laughs> so how old are you uh 38 38 so even at that point i guess even more so as you're going in and you want to be an editorial director of a magazine at what point do you start noticing that the world's changing, that that maybe a, a paper magazine might not be the future? Oh, I was right in the middle of that one for sure. Yeah. So um, I started working at the company. Uh, I was there for 15 years, almost 15 years. Uh, I started working there in 99. And uh, back then, uh, our proofing process was a very analog process. It was, um, you know, we would run film and run film proofs and Everything was film based, and we would shoot, you know, these products two and a quarter, and uh, you have to scan them all. And of course, uh, digital cameras became what they are, and eventually, uh, our whole industry turned digital. And you could just kind of, kind of smell the writing on the wall. <laughs> you know, I'm in my early twenties. I finally got my dream gig, and you're like, this doesn't seem like something I'm going to be doing for thirty years. Yeah, plus the catalog work too. I mean, like. You know, I mean, there's still some some great retailers that send out catalogs like Bass Pro Shops or somebody. But for the most part, I mean, the Sears catalog goes away. Right. And then like these these mega, you know, traditional catalogs, like they just start not doing them anymore. Like you're seeing that, too, I'm sure. Yep. So we were um, pivoting and uh, focusing more energy on um, uh, doing the creative production side of the web work. So we would do, uh, you know, images still need to be processed and you still need retouching. We had a really excellent uh, retouching team. So we were processing catalog images, uh, both lifestyle and um, your colorway shots mm -hmm. and doing color matching and uh, making sure that everything's on brand, on point. Yeah. And uh, that seems like, so you're there for 15 years, Im right, perfectly immersed in the time when this mammoth change i mean it is a it is a paradigm shift of going from paper to digital yep. and it's going from film to digital and it's going everything's going towards the digital it's changing lots of different industries the camera industry changes i mean you're not like my i show my kids what you know rolls of film and they're like what is that and you had to wait like a week to get it back that's so weird <laughs> am I, I i had a uh, an old nikon n90s uh, that was uh, hanging in my office at uh, at home and my youngest daughter one time, this is like 10 years ago or something, she's like, hey, dad, can I use that camera that's uh, in your office? I'm like, nah, sorry, kiddo. That's uh, that's an old film camera. And she's like, okay, what's film? <laughs> <laughs> I know. They don't know. They right? don't know. But it would be a great, it would be a great um, exercise to show them like, okay, this is some black and white film. We're going to, we're going to develop it in the bathroom. They would right. probably love it. Like my kids got a, uh, got a Polaroid camera. My daughter got a Polaroid. Like they, they started remaking these things again, but those pictures are really little. Uh, they're not like the Polaroids that, that I had, which are much bigger. They're, they're really small. My daughter just thought it was the coolest thing ever. This Polaroid camera, right? Like, look, it just develops right in your hand and you can see. And it's like, yeah, well, that's, kind of like old technology it's like dad how do i post this on instagram exactly <laughs> take a picture of it take a picture right? of that picture and put it on instagram so when you're when you're going through all this at that time like what's the I, i've just thought about this so many times like what's the attitude what's the kind of um the feeling when you're going to work like that like are people kind of like wondering when they should bail off this sinking ship or is it more like, no, we're going to change. We're going to, we're going to, 
you know, change our direction and we're going to, you know, be able to survive in this new world. That was, I'm always a glasses half full kind of guy. So um, being able to see the change in the industry and being young in the career and just really, you know, like I said, seeing that change, I was all about pivoting, figuring out how we can pivot, how we can uh, refocus our our core mm-hmm. uh, abilities. Uh, how do we leverage our uh, retouching abilities, our retouching studio, uh, our creative production management? There's a lot of work. You know, you know how it goes. Um, you know, you have a website. It's not like you just, right. you know, type some code and you're done, right? <laughs> you still have to shoot the artwork. You still have to shoot the imagery. You still have to retouch it, you know, get the right capture. And there's a lot of process, especially on large projects, you know, like, you know, not like little small websites, but imagine like, you know, like a Zappos website, right? right. You know, you're talking a large a large entity that requires a lot of work and a lot of planning and, and project management. So it was um, seeing what we can do to leverage our ability to um, you know, manage much larger scale projects. Mm-hmm. And so how come you had so much time that you could be chasing these whitefish and, and learning how to kayak fish? And So that was, and I will be completely honest, uh, the one thing I do miss about uh, that old industry versus um, you know, being in the, the kayak fishing industry is uh, I had a lot more time to fish back then than I did now. <laughs> so our focus was uh, a magazine, editorial, and catalog uh, work, which means everything is uh, it's on a cycle. It's all annuity work, right? There are monthly magazines, or they're bi-monthly, or they're semi-monthly, or they're annual, or they're quarterly. Um, all these production cycles are scheduled and planned out, and you'll have gaps, right? So if you have you know 12 magazines that uh, you design and uh, produce, and they're you know all monthly or semi-monthly, well, when they all go to press, well, then what? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. Once a once a print job goes to press, you're done. Yeah. There's, there's no, I got to make a tweak. I got to make an edit. I got to make a little fix. No, it's done. That ink is going on paper and out the door it goes. So I'm going to fish. Yeah. Right? So you uh, you end up working like, you know, it was 15 years of like, you know, 60, 70 hour work weeks. And you would do that two or three weeks in a row. And then you got like, you know, seven to 10 days off. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, a lot of downtime. Yeah. And so tell me about the time between like the current time that you're talking about of having this downtime and working in that industry and then learning, learning about kayak fishing. At what point do you kind of decide, you know, this is, I I love this so much. This is something I want to do. So the real eye opener on that one was after kayak fishing for like, um, let's see, I guess this would have been like 2000. 12-ish, 2012, 2013, something like that. And, uh, you know, the kayak fishing industry was, it's still exploding, mm-hmm. right? There's no, there's no telling where that vertical is yet. We're not anywhere close to plateauing. Um, but it was still emerging. It was like at the early stages of its defining point, you know, 10 years before that, you know, nobody uh, would have thought like fishing kayaks were their own thing. You just fish from a kayak, right. you know, there wasn't a fishing kayak. So it was around... Yeah, 2012, 2013 mark, a uh, friend wanted to get into kayak fishing. Uh, he's like, hey, what boat should I, re- uh, should I grab? So I made a recommendation. I was like, yeah, these boats are usually like 800 bucks. Uh, you'll find them on sale for like 700 to 750. Um, he's like, man, I just looked at that boat and it's a thousand dollars. No, it's not. Like that boat is, it's always been like 800 bucks. So show me the website. I'm like, whoa, wait, why is it? Why is it a thousand dollars? It hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. Why is it a thousand dollars? And from being on the uh, the catalog side of you know that previous company where you know so we did editorial work and catalog work, catalog work actually made up eighty percent of our our business. Uh, so I spent fifteen years working with uh, marketers and content marketers and understanding um, 
brand launches and so forth and realizing pretty quickly that like it's a thousand dollars because there's a demand for them now that there wasn't before mm-hmm. it's artificial inflation is what that is it's um we're going to let's be honest we're fishermen right you're a fisherman mm-hmm. i'm a fisherman we know that the uh fishing industry is all about uh catching anglers right right <laughs> it's, uh, you know, all these uh new lords the new uh the, the new tools the new um gizmos and gadgets it catches us right yes. that's what keeps the industry moving uh forward from the industry side of things so we'll spend a lot of money to catch that next fish right mm-hmm. so with the uh, uh the kayak fishing scene realizing you know what we can we can sell kayaks to kayakers or we can sell them to kayak fishermen and we can charge more for them because they're going to catch more fish with it so those that boat artificially the the price is artificially inflated um up to a thousand dollars and um rather quickly any decent fishing kayak you know they were the price was creeping every year yeah a hundred to two hundred dollars up so at this point what makes a fishing kayak like you throw a rod holder on a regular double kayak and now it's a fishing kayak or i mean right in in the infancy i mean i've been kind of following it a little bit not as closely as you obviously but in the in its infancy it seems like what in its infancy, it was nothing more than a flush mount rod holder thrown onto a right, kayak. Exactly. Right? And now this is a fishing kayak, but it's the same kayak over here. But it costs three dollars more right. because it's a fishing kayak. Right. Yeah. Kudos to the industry for. I mean, I, I get it, right? It, it makes sense. But like, man, that's a that's a steep price. And then as the evolution of fishing kayaks, um, you know, you're right. In its infancy, it's just a flush mount rod holder. Fast forward, now it's a framed seats, which are much more comfortable. Now it's wider hulls. Now it's uh, more stable boats. Now it's standing platforms. Now it's, you know, uh, tackle storage, uh, fish finder uh, mounts, transducer mounts. Uh, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. It continues to evolve. We continue to evolve our product as well. Uh, but back then it was a, no, man, that's a, that's a $750 boat that's now $1,000 because you just put a flush mount on it. Right. Um, so that's kind of what gave the birth to this idea of a vibe was um, let's bring back like the $800 kayak. But let's bring it back and actually make like solid fishing kayaks that have the same feature sets that these artificially inflated kayaks, you know, uh, prices on kayaks, you know, have. Let's uh, let's take uh, you know, boats that retail for thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars, and let's offer for eight ninety nine. Yeah, well, that's a good idea, and that's something that I can see you out there kind of stewing as you're not catching any fish one day. You're kind of thinking, man, we could do something better. But I want to know, like, what happens to get you so motivated about this that you quit your other job and you and you launch into this what is an entrepreneurial story really Well let's of, back up I didn't quit that other job first I am okay. not a gambler <laughs> <laughs> Everything is uh, uh calculated meticulously and I don't I am not a huge risk taker uh, risk taker um so I was a uh, I was a principal at the other company I I grew in that position so I had the uh, the autonomy uh, autonomy and uh, ability to kind of brainstorm this other project uh, while still running um, my portion of that old company. And you're company. still kind of dealing with the same kind of schedule? Like all of a sudden you find yourself with seven to 10 days of no work and, and you can devote it into... Oh, I of, went all into this. It, yeah. it was all brainstorming vibe. And um, and then uh, my fishing uh, world definitely started to get cut into a little bit. Because even back then, even though we were working um, 60, 70 hour work weeks, uh, I would still get up at you know four in the morning, go net some bait, uh, go striper fishing. Uh, or hit some of the local like you know, bass lakes uh, before work. I show up at work usually around like ten o'clock, ten thirty. Work till like eight or nine. Rinse, repeat, do it again the next mm-hmm. day. So that certainly cut out my morning fishing runs. 
or brainstorming this whole thing. And so when you're when you're brainstorming it though, like we're back to there's just a kayak with a flush mount. What did you think you were going to do differently? The initial uh, run was just simply simply bringing um, frame seats to uh, fishing kayaks at a more affordable price. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, you know something about the kayak molding process or something about that was, distribution and, and sourcing and all of that? Or is this like all of a sudden you're launching yourself into this entire new galaxy? I'm of, launching myself in that whole new galaxy. <laughs> you know, completely. Well, blind. how do you start doing something like that? Like you have the idea that maybe I could start a kayak company. Like what does that look like? I mean, because so many people that listen to this podcast have a desire and I get so many emails. They want to work in the fishing industry or in the outdoor industry, one of the things that's a very common thing between a lot of people that I talk to, like yourself, is that they want to do it because they want to fish more, which... That's not the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to have some other... And you have to know that going in. You know the old saying of like turning hobby into work, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, I've done it twice now, right? Like Art and being creative was my passion. I turned it into a 15-year career, and fishing and kayak fishing is a passion, so I've turned it into work again. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to have a different kind of draw other than I just want to participate and like get to do what I love doing every day. That's not, you're going to do quite the opposite. It's like opening a bait store, right? Like mm-hmm. the guys that open the bait store, well, you know, they sell bait, and they sell tackle, and they don't get on the water because they have to open that door at like 6 o'clock in the morning and be able to service customers and clients that are going to go out and do what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. But that's a different kind of passion, right? Like this is, even though I don't get to go nearly as much as I used to, I love getting more people on the water. I love getting more people into the sport. That's why we did this whole thing in the first place. It wasn't to like just maximize profits and have the most expensive kayak or the you know the latest and greatest or, you know, I'm not... I don't claim to be Tesla or, you know, one of these great, innovative, the premium, you know, forward-thinking brand. I just want to be the accessible brand. I want to get people out there doing what we love and what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that was the, the idea from the beginning? Yeah, right. That's um, when that kayak was, uh, that, that one that I recommended was now over $1,000 and it used to be like 750 bucks. And we're talking like a $250 price hike in a matter of like year, year and a half. That to me was insane. Yeah. So that was that. Oh man, I think your average, the average person who wants to get into the sport, they want to try kayak fishing. Um, they'll either borrow a friend's boat if they don't have access to that. Um, well, nowadays you have a lot more options. Back then you had two options. You had the option of getting a, a cheap off-the-shelf uh, boat from a big box store. You know, something in that three, four hundred dollar range, which is going to be uncomfortable and a terrible experience. Uh, which you may like, ah, I tried it once, but that, this isn't for me. This, <laughs> this sucks because my back hurts and I flipped three times and I lost all my gear. Or you had the option of dropping, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars uh, on a fishing kayak. But not everyone's willing to spend twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars to see if they like the right. sport. There needed to be a middle ground, and at that time, uh, there was there was no middle uh, player. There was no middle market. There was low end. There was high end, and there was nothing in the middle space. Mm-hmm. So you decide that's going to be you. And then, and then what do you do? Like, yeah, yeah, we did it. And then we quickly became, we became that middle market brand. Uh, we, 
exploded overnight much quicker than I had uh, originally thought. Yeah, but even but even before exploding overnight, you got to figure out how to get these things made. You got or or you consider making them yourself. I mean, how do you even how do you even begin going down that road? Oh, well, you know, I just picked up one of those old paper catalogs that we used to produce and I just started flipping through it looking for a kayak manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> That was a process. It wasn't, that didn't happen overnight. Right. I was, um, uh, I have a lot of homework to do on understanding of the rotor molding process, uh, the machinery uh, required. Uh, is it going to be, you know, are we going to look at making our own boats? Are we going to contract to um, a manufacturer here? Mm-hmm. Are we going to contract to a manufacturer in Mexico or South America or Asia or, you know, pick a country wherever? What makes the most sense uh, for what we're trying to do here? And at the time, uh, you know, everyone knows uh, in the manufacturing process, there's a there's a huge capital investment uh, on the molds. Mm-hmm. That's not cheap, and that's not something. Like I said, I'm not a gambler, so um, I wasn't about to drop, you know, the two hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars required to cut molds uh, on a product that I'm not sure of, right? Because I'm brand new to this space. And of course, manufacturers, you know, here they're not going to drop that kind of money on your experiment either, right? Right. So, uh, how do you get there? So I, uh, you know, talked to manufacturers here in the States. I talked to manufacturers in South America. I talked to manufacturers in China. And lo and behold, I found a guy over there. I would honestly say he's one of my, um, uh, one of my best friends to this day. Uh, I've known him since uh, 2014 now. Um, a Chinese guy. He uh, runs our factory over there. Uh, he believed in my business model enough to, to offer up that upfront capital investment. Really? Wow. Yep. So nowadays, fast forward, I'm just going to do a real quick fast forward. So we kickstarted this whole thing um, through him. It wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for uh, what he's done. Um, so now uh, we get asked all the time, like, you know, oh, well, you manufacture in China or you manufacture, you know, why don't you bring it uh, here to the U.S.? And I'll be honest, this is a, it's a touchy subject, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's a very political uh, topic these days. And it's um, the biggest reason why I manufacture in China still is because he believed in us. Yeah. He believed in us enough to put his own personal financing at risk. If we failed, he would have lost everything. So that's a touchy subject. Yeah, man. He took that risk with us. The thought of like, well, you know, thanks. You got us kickstarted. Uh, you got us uh, to number 137 on uh, the Inc. 5000 list uh, last year as uh, one of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. But you know what? We're going to move it back to the States now because, um, well, that's what people want. Right. That's just not right. Right. <laughs> That's a... Well, it obviously is, you know, I mean, you got a little bit emotional about it because it, it means so much to you. But that's part of the some of these stories that people don't fully understand, like in the, in the whole journey of being an entrepreneur or starting anything or getting anything going is that relationships like that are ones that are made and nothing would have happened. Like... At that point, was he the only one that was believing in you? He was to the that only degree? one willing to. He was the only one willing, willing to take that risk. Yeah, and so now it's like, okay, I mean, what would you do? Like, you, you know, somebody that's being critical of you. Like, right. what would you do? Like, you're just going to turn your back on this guy, the only person that that really believed in you when no one else did. Like, that's a part of the story that you know people don't understand those things a lot of times. You know, from the outside, like, right. But uh, that's pretty interesting. And so you're still doing business with with him. Like, what's the status of it now? Like, he's 
He's a partner in the business, or nope. He's still a he's still a friend. He's a uh, he's a factory that we contract our manufacturing with. And at this point, though, we command like about seventy five percent of that factory's output. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a lot more like a partnership. Yeah, um, just um, you get the idea when you're right. when you're that much of a factory's output. It's a partnership. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so you get this thing started, and and where along the line do you kind of you know, you say you're not a gambler. So where along the line do you kind of decide, well, I'm done with this other career? That was a really tough one. I was there for so long uh, at that other job um, at uh, with that company. That was uh, 2015. So 2014, our uh, first year in business, we did 250000 in sales. And I just put all of it right back into the company. All right, every penny I was still running the other uh, company. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't draw a dime off it. Um, we ended up. Um, we had two employees working at Vibe before I even jumped ship <laughs> from the other company. Uh, we had a guy working our warehouse, uh, and then, actually we had two people working uh, the warehouse. And then um, it was 2015, where 2015 we did, if I remember correctly, I think we did two and a half million. Uh, 2015. So we went from 250,000 to two and a half wow. million. Wow. With two people, you maintain the same staff when oh, you jumped? Oh, no. We jumped <laughs> real quick. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> I was going to say, man, you kept those two people really busy. No, it went it went from a two to, uh, let's see here, I don't know, eight or nine uh, people um, pretty quickly. So I wasn't expecting it to grow that fast. You could see that it was going to be um, uh, sustaining a sustainable uh, business model. So I was working on uh, my exit strategy with the other company, figuring out the best way to keep them in a, uh, a healthy position after I left. It just everything got accelerated so much quicker. That springtime hit. It's March, and we're getting these uh, these pre-orders in. And you're like, well, I was expecting like you know a hundred pre-orders, not like a thousand pre-orders. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, it became all hands on deck as quickly as possible. Yeah, so at this point, how many models would you have had in your lineup? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think we had three. Three. So basically, three like very utility fishing boats. Yeah, we had our flagship boat, the Seaghost, uh, the Seaghost 130. Um, that's our um, 13-foot fishing kayak. It's still our flagship today. We had two recreational models as well. We had a... Um, uh, a recreational tandem and a, a recreational single boat, a, a single sitter nine foot boat. Uh, but both of them, they were recreational boats, but they still had, you know, those flush mount rod holders we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I just didn't charge $250 for the flush mount <laughs> rod holders. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Like when you, when you first think, okay, we're going to launch our first product. What was your thought process going into that? Like, you know that you have you have boats like when I was just out in your showroom, you got boats of all different sizes now at this point, you know, and you're you're filling all these different niches, like certain fishermen want this and certain fishermen want this. But on that initial one, like what was your thought process of like how how do you decide on a thirteen foot boat for that, and how do you decide like what the price point's going to be and what all that's going to include right right at the beginning on that first one? Well, well, we'll start with that price point one. That one was an easy one for me to determine a price point. I have a fairly decent understanding of what margins need to be. What you know, let's say this company you know blows up overnight. I need to make sure I have you know uh, distribution level margins and I, and I have wholesale level margins. So I wanted our price points to always be a set margin over top of manufacturing cost. Mm-hmm. 
not what's typical of what's the most the market's willing to spend for this product. Mm. Um, that was, that's been rule number one uh, with Vibe since the beginning. Some of the questions we get all the time is like, well, you know, the reason you were, you know, your $900 instead of $1,300 like everybody else is because you manufacture in China. You know what? I only get 66 boats on a container and I got to pay to get that stuff shipped over here. I promise you it's not any cheaper than <laughs> manufacturing it here. But I knew that my margins were going to be a set amount uh, that covers our overhead, our profitability, uh, allows margins for distributors, and allows margins for dealers. Mm-hmm. So the price point's set. Uh, that part's easy. Okay. So then it's um, you know, figuring out the model and what, what I want in that boat. So the mission of Vibe was to is, is accessibility, uh, both on price point and a mission of getting as many people into the sport that we love and that we're passionate about. So in order to do that, I needed to have a boat that was, I wanted to command the, the generalization sector, I guess. Sector's not really the right word either, but you have boats that are for offshore, for going, you know, if you're going to go paddle five, six, seven miles offshore, you need a long skinny dart. You need like a nice mm-hmm. like 14, 15 foot kayak that's like, you know, 28 to 30 inch uh, uh, beam tops. Uh, you got to slice water and cut through. You need a nice uh, you know, bow rise on it. That's not us. That's, that's, I'm not making niche uh, product. Uh, if you're a hundred percent hardcore on the river, you're going to be, um, you know, hitting shoals, you know, class twos quite regularly. You got to, you know, you know, drop down, down through some, uh, some stair steps. You've got to dodge dumps and rocks. You need very tight maneuverability, but maintaining like ultra stability. You don't care about paddling. Uh, this thing can be a complete barge and it doesn't matter because you don't paddle a whole lot. God paddles for you. You just have to dodge rocks and mm-hmm. stumps. And that's not me either. Uh, I wanted to make sure we had a boat that was if you're not sure where your passion is yet, if you are an offshore guy, if you're an inshore guy, if you're a lake guy or big water guy or river guy, uh, I wanted to make sure our boat you know, is at least 80% proficient in any one of those arenas. Uh, so that was our mission. I, there's, it's not the fastest boat. It's not the most stable boat, but you won't find a boat that's as fast and as stable. Hmm. That's what I wanted it to be. Hmm. And then, so how long is it before you introduce a, a second model? Oh, memory is not really my forte. <laughs> well, so, I mean, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be like a timeline, but, you know, that one does pretty well. And, and then at that point, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, now think, maybe we can expand. Like, I find that to be interesting, too, because me, lots of people could just be happy with that. Like, okay, so you went from, what, 250000 to $2.5 million. Like, why not just stay there? Like, why not just keep making that boat in different colors and different, Put a couple more rod holders on it. Like, at There's, what point do you decide we need another? We need to fill this other or six more because we have nine right. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was other niches that I wanted to hit. Uh, so the thirteen, I, I might have it slightly out, uh, out of order. I'm pretty certain our next model. I know 2016 we did a redesign of that Sea Ghost, uh, and that's what uh, that's when we brought in that frame seat. Uh, we brought in a, a transducer port. And just a lot more features packed into that boat that was already feature rich. We packed a lot more into it, and we launched a, an eleven foot version of that boat. Mm. So it's the eleven foot version is more of that tight quarters boat. It performs even better, like in the rivers. Um, the Seagos one thirty does well in rivers, but the one ten is just a lot more maneuverable. And there was just we got we got a lot of requests for that. Thirteen foot boats are going to be for people who are going to cover some water, but your pond hoppers and you know, rivers and creek guys, uh, they want a shorter boat. So that the Seagos to this day comes in a 13 foot version and an 11 foot version. And then we added the Yellowfin series, 
which um, that one sandwiches between our two. So the Skipjack series was our uh, very base entry level, like you know the five hundred dollar price point price range. Um, our Sea Ghosts were the eight nine hundred dollar uh, price point. Uh, there's still a pretty big gap between five hundred and nine hundred. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I came up with a um, the Yellowfin series, which is um, it's 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 quite literally in the middle. It's a, a more streamlined feature set, so it doesn't have uh, all the bells and whistles that the uh, the Sea Ghosts have. Um, it's a lower price point, but still a lot more comfortable. Um, has that frame seat, has um, accessory ra- uh, you know, gear rails, gear tracks, rod holders, and more storage than mm-hmm. your than your more base models. Right. The one that we used last year, which I loved, was like a it was kind of like a hybrid between a SUP and a and a kayak. That's my baby. I tell people if uh, if I had the idea of that Maverick first. Uh, there never would have been a Vibe Kayaks. <laughs> We'd have been Vibe Hybrids. Yeah. Um, I love that thing. It's, yeah, um, I did too. I loved it too because it was it was so perfect for what we were doing. Like, I didn't have to worry. It's roto-molded all, all the way around, including the fins. Like, so there's... Yeah, you don't have to deal with the fin box. You don't have to deal with like, you know, if you're uh, SCP fishing, you know, dropping that fin in or anything like that or breaking a fin. Right. Uh, the roto-molded shell makes it rough and tumble, so drag it down, you know, rocks and shoals, use it on the river. The real magic to that boat is that it's uh, filled with uh, polyurethane foam. It's PU foam. It's the same that's, uh, you know, in your rotomolded coolers. And that's where that brainchild kind of came from. So we make coolers as well. And then uh, I was hanging out at the factory and we just had this crazy idea of like, you think we can like foam inject a kayak or a board? (laughs) Like, there's no way. The vacuum, it's just, there's too much air. There's no way this will work. So um, we had a generic um, rotomolded paddleboard uh, laying around there. I'm like, let's try it. Let's see what happens here. <laughs> so uh, we injected that thing with foam and blew out all the seams and completely destroyed that thing. It looked like, um, it just looked like a bad science experiment. <laughs> so the guys at the factory were like, nope, didn't work. And I'm like, no, that totally worked. <laughs> that is, that absolutely worked. So then we spent uh, a couple of years like uh, uh, refining that process and designing a mold for it uh, to make the Maverick what it is. So what that uh, that foam fill does is if you've ever been on a roto-molded uh, paddleboard uh, or a roto-molded hybrid board uh, boat, the decks are always flexible. Like they're mm-hmm. extremely flexible. That's a lot of surface area without scupper towers. Uh, there's just nothing to really support it. Um, so you'll get, uh, over time, you'll get creasing on the deck uh, and the plastic. You'll get, um, uh, you get, you know, when you're walking around, it's just, right. you know, plastic gets hot. It gets, um, uh, expands. Uh, so you have, just have a lot more warpage. So that solid foam uh, on the inside makes that thing sturdy as concrete. Mm. Like you've used it. It's, yeah. um, you know, it is, there's no flexibility in it whatsoever. It's a solid um, object. And it's completely sink-proof. Cut it in half, cut it into like little 12-inch chunks and float on it if you need to. Um, it's um, unsinkable foam. So the idea of that boat was to not be just an SUP or not just be a foam-filled kayak. I wanted to merge the best of both worlds. So on the bottom, uh, it has running tracks, um, a, a running, running channels a lot more like a kayak. It has the molded and fins. Uh, the idea is really for it to be a flat-deck kayak. The intent of it is to... Uh, put a framed kayak seat on it, use a kayak paddle as opposed to an SUP paddle. You just have a lot more surface area for all your gear and all your mm-hmm. stuff and rig it out as in-depth as you want, 
or as minimalist as you want. There's guys that uh, actually I have a I have a pond in my backyard. I have a little three acre pond, uh, and I have three Mavericks uh, tied up back there. And there's nothing on them. Like I don't use seats or anything. I just right. go on there, stand, kick off, catch a few little rat bass, and uh, call it a night. Yeah, that's what I did. Um, I just had like a five gallon bucket on the front, and I just threw some tackle in there and stuff like that. But then Rich had a cooler that he sat on. So he sat on it like kind of like a I don't know how you would describe it, like a like he's sitting up on a on a pedestal on right. a kayak, right? So he's much higher and he's paddling, you know, sitting down. I'm paddling standing up. And I always I, I like that so much because what we what we use that for is sight fishing. So like if I'm sitting in a kayak, that's not ideal. But you know, for this type of fishing. Yeah. But sitting and paddling a long distance is ideal. Yep. So that's where that could have some real advantage is being able to sit in one of those seats like you have, the the frame seat. Yep. Paddle it with a kayak paddle. Somehow transform that kayak paddle into a push pole once we get into the super shallow stuff and move that seat back or or move it somewhere to where now I can just stand on the board. That's the ultimate. I There's- mean there's some ideas in the works. Did you see the, uh, you saw the Shearwater at ICAST? Yeah, well, you were telling me about that. So this seems like, this Shearwater seems like the design of a mad scientist, which I feel as though you're the you're the brainchild behind this. Like, how many more things could you throw on I on don't think it's possible. <laughs> so that Shearwater, oh my gosh, that was a, a two, two and a half year project. And by the time it's actually done on the market, it'll be a full solid three-year project. Um, we're we're shooting to have it to market beginning of March of 2020. Yeah. So what's special about this this boat? Everything. Uh, <laughs> but I jump into that one because of what you just said about the whole seat thing. In an ideal world, uh, you can sit in that lower position. You can paddle to where you want to get to and then be able to slide that seat out of the way or somehow magically uh, have a higher... Um, uh, site platform. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, one of the key features of the Shearwater is um, we've got a uh, standing slash sitting perch on the back of the seat. So you can paddle to your destination and it's got, uh, there's actually four sitting positions. There's a there's a, uh, a neutral low, a recumbent low, a neutral high, and a recumbent high uh, sitting position. So you can get like the high seat position is 11 inches off the deck. So that's a nice solid high platform. You paddle to where you want to go, uh, sitting in a nice low sitting position, you get there, you stand up, you lower the seat back, and now you can sit down on that standing perch that's on the back. Or if you have really good sea legs, you can just go ahead and stand up on that standing perch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're 15 inches off the deck. Right. Um, slightly higher than the cooler that you were sitting on. Yeah. The rich was, Rich was on. Uh, rich was on. So, and then, but this thing also has lots of other things besides just the seat. Like you were, you were walking me through it at ICAST, which I thought, was pretty pretty cool because so many people now are getting into this kayak fishing and they want basically to rig up a kayak with everything that a bass boat has. Like they want yep. their electronics, they want to take a net, they want, you know, full tackle storage, they want waterproof storage. And it looked like from your other models, like when we walked through the whole product line, it's like you took took something that was working really well on this one, you put it in there. We're going to put a new seat on this one and you put it on there. And then you just kind of build this boat out with all of these different options. So I wanted to try and solve, it was, it was a fun challenge. I wanted to try and solve areas where kayak fishermen have to choose one or the other because nobody else has solved the puzzle before. For example, 
some kayak anglers, they want a center console storage space uh, so they can uh, store their their quick grab tackle plastics or small tackle boxes or tools and have that stored in a center console. Uh, Other kayak anglers want an open deck with nothing in the way so they can get up and they're more maneuverable. They don't have to worry about tripping over the center console space. So how do you have center console space and an open deck at the same time? Mm-hmm. I wanted to solve those kind of riddles. Uh, and that's what that boat is. So it's got a removable center console storage area that's strong enough that if you accidentally step on it, you're not going through it, that's flush with the deck. So now you have center console storage and an open deck at the same time. How do you have um, a hand steering on, a, on the rudder and foot-controlled steering at the same time? Why would you need both? Because let's say you're, well, you know, you're, you're from down in the Keys. Like how many times are you, uh, you know, getting in some real skinny water where now you can't use you know, your rudder right. anymore, right? You don't have enough water anymore. So in those situations, uh, you can't use a foot pedal drive. Right. right. If you're hitting a lot of um, shallow water, you're not going to, you're not even going to worry about foot pedal drives. You're not going to worry about a motor on the bottom. There's not enough uh, uh, water to to use those. Right. I mean, literally Uh, you're pushing across mud for most of the time. And so that either needs to retract up or be, or, or you just say, well, I can't use a kayak that has that. That would be super awesome if I had one. Exactly. I'm going to be in literally in four inches of water. So there's no possibility. So when, then when you get out to deeper water, uh, you know, you're paddling back, whatever, now you're hitting a channel, uh, you have a crosswind coming up. Well, shoot, now I want to have the rudder. So you're not going to use hand steering and paddle. You're not the hand steering is for using motors or foot pedals. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that, then you steer with your feet. So now you keep your foot steering. But then if you're going offshore the next day, you drop in your foot pedal drive. Now the hand steering works with it, and you can disengage the mm. the, the foot pedal steering. So you can just drop in a motor. Yeah. Uh, so we partnered with Bixby, uh, Bixby Jet Motors. Uh, so the Shearwater comes. Uh, it comes Bigsby ready. It has a, a, a rudder that has an adapter plate that comes off, and you can mount the Bigsby jet motor directly to the uh, to the rudder without buying an, uh, any kind of adapter kit. That's interesting because there's a lot of places in the in the Everglades and in in other places, I'm sure, where it might be a really long paddle to get to some place that is now a no motor zone, and you can't even have the motor on the boat like it's one thing to not use the motor it's another thing like like a lot of people would have these little tiny skiffs and they would have like a five horsepower motor on the back or a 10 horsepower motor and then you leave it somewhere in the bushes and then you pull in. oh wow so you're you're completely you know, you know it can't even be on the boat like it's it can't it just can't be there so you have to take it off could you do that with with <laughs> with this deal to where you you pull that out and now there's not going to be just a big hole in the boat, right? It's going to, or maybe there is. And it, it just, how would that work? So uh, the one I just talked about is on the rudder. That would be a little bit more work to take off. It's four bolts. You have to remove four bolts and you can pop the motor right off. Actually, no, I take that back. The motor um, will clip onto the adapter. So no, that would actually come right off. Yeah. That, that'd be easy. And then there's also in the center console uh, pod area, so this boat's all about the pod, really. Uh, there's a paddle pod, there's a pedal pod, uh, and then there's a power pod um, for for motor adapters. So you can put the big speed motor on the rudder, or it can go in that oh, in that cool. pod area. So you could, if you wanted it all 
on that pod. So that that pod, it fits the battery and the motor all encased in one unit. You can take that whole thing off and then you can put the paddle pod back in. Uh, wow. That's one option. Or uh, you can just disconnect it from the, the rudder. It's just two clips and then the motor pops off. Yeah, that that would be really good for a lot of a lot of places. I mean, the motor, the motor kayak, that's that's um, you know, I hear people they'll say, well, now you got a motor on the thing, you got electronics. Why don't you just have a boat? But the price point of this it's is still, still way yep. less than than a boat, right? Yeah, I mean that thing totally rigged out. You're going to spend. Well, certainly a lot less than a bass So the Shearwater, and that's, you can actually see it right there, the Bixby motor. It's on the shelf back over there. Oh, yeah. It's that little guy right over there. So if you're not doing the foot pedals and you're just doing the uh, Bixby motor on a Shearwater, uh, the retail price would be uh, $12.99 for the boat and $9.99 for the Bixby kit. So uh, $22.98 mm-hmm. is the drive-out price for a brand-new boat with, all those features and that jet motor. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to find a John boat even with for that. You know? Yeah, John boats have gotten really expensive for some reason. And the, that kayak's gonna be more versatile than the John boat as far as the types of waters you can take it into. Mm-hmm. What does that boat weigh? Like, is somebody able to single hand that off the top of their car? You're gonna want to be. You're gonna get creative. <laughs> it's gonna. It'll be around a little over a hundred pounds. Yeah, and. That hundred pound, you've carried kayaks before. It's um, even some of our lighter kayaks are only like you know sixty five pounds. But I always tell people, yeah, it's only sixty five pounds, but kayaks are going to be the most awkward sixty five pounds <laughs> you're ever going to carry. It's not like throwing a bag of dog food over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's um, they're a little awkward, but it's totally doable. What's the future of kayak fishing? Hovercrafts. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need a pod for hovercraft, right? That'd right. be sweet. Uh, a transporters. <laughs> Sky's the limits, really. The kayak bass fishing, uh, the KBF, uh, joining forces with uh, FLW. We're going to see a, a much bigger growth spurt in the tournament kayak fishing of the next uh, several years. I see it going the same direction as like you know, bass fishing and bass masters. What kind of angler do you think that that is going to draw? Do you think that's going to draw the guy that, is already in the tournaments and is going to add another day onto the tournaments and fish the kayak and the professional tournaments. Is that a possibility or is it? You're already seeing some of that happen. Is this opening up a whole new opportunity for people? Like I can't afford a bass boat yet. I want to be a professional bass fisherman. Here's, here's a chance for me to get in. Honestly, I think that's the, the, that's the draw of the sport is that it's both. Yeah. It's equally both. Is there any money yet? Like when they when they when they partner, I mean, I've only heard about this partnership between kayak bass fishing and FLW on a very surface level. So they're going to have tournaments, kayak fishing tournaments that are paired right next to FLW I events. Don't, I don't know the whole details on that. Okay, one. so but but I guess that's the hope at, at some point that there would be it, like it might even already be in the uh, works or already published. I'm not 100 percent mm-hmm. sure on that one. And would you imagine that? there would be some prize money? I know that the KBF has had $200,000 pots. Wow. Um, that's real money. Past. That's that's real money. That's real money, especially when you, when you, you know, you're not buying, you know, a lot of these bass boats are $100,000. You carry a note on that, on that bass boat and that cuts into your winnings substantially. So now you've got a kayak that is I don't know that's all with, divided, but. 
Let's see that one up. Well, if you rig something out with everything you could possibly rig on a kayak, everything, you might spend $8,000 max. So instead of having $100,000 just in your boat, you have $8,000 in your kayak and no note, no bills, no monthly bill. That's it makes it pretty nice if you win. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, July of this year. Compete for over 200000 in prize money with the KBF National Championship. Wow. That's good. I mean, and that's obviously a testament to how many people are interested in, in bass fishing. Like, I know that that, that kayak bass fishing has, has uh, really done a lot to promote the sport, I guess, along with many others. But it's just kind of a natural, though, that that bass fishing is very popular lots of different kinds of fishing like red fishing is very popular mostly because those two species in general are widely distributed across the it almost like oh, there's largemouth bass and i would say in every single state right and there's probably really good access to farm ponds golf course ponds public water where you don't really need much of a craft to get in there so a kayak fits perfectly into that area and then then there's so many people that live close to the coast where there are redfish available you know maybe you don't want to buy a $150,000 boat to go fishing four or five times a year and there again the kayak is perfect for that you don't have to go far offshore no, in you fact you, you sometimes you're better fishing onshore <laughs> right right you know, i mean like you go too far out you've missed all the fish now so i think that obviously and i like the SUP like that Maverick i mean for me that I like standing up and seeing because I like, I like sight. Everything I like to do, I like to see the fish first. If you're standing up, you see, you see way more. But I'm just a little more comfortable standing up than sitting down. But like I'm with you, though, that I think that it's only going to continue to grow, especially when you have like neighborhood restrictions and stuff like that that prohibit trailered boats and stuff like that. You can hang up a, a Maverick or a SUP or a, or a kayak inside of your garage. You don't need a trailer. You can just carry it in the back of your truck or on top of your car. Yeah, I certainly did not get along with my HOA too terribly well with my uh, center console, my bass boat <laughs> hanging around my house. <laughs> well, that's a problem. I mean, some some places, we were evacuating a hurricane one time, and we uh, we ended up in Miami, or maybe it was a little north of Miami, some ritzy neighborhood in Miami, and to one of my clients' houses, and he was he was all worried because I drove a pickup truck that was parked there and that was part of the hoa thing no pickup trucks seriously no pickup trucks on the street so you could have an suv but you couldn't have a pickup truck i was i was like man i don't care how nice this neighborhood is if i can't park a pickup truck here then i am obviously in the wrong neighborhood (laughs) right but still thank you to him for sheltering us from the storm and it turned out to not be a big deal but he did have to go there and say hey look these people are evacuating a storm they brought the pickup truck because it carries all their stuff, like whatever he had to tell them. But I was like, wow, that's a pretty ritzy neighborhood not to allow a pickup truck in. in. <laughs> but anyway, so I think that uh, as you have those, those HOAs that don't allow trailers, the kayaks is obviously a good, a good alternative to that. Well, what's the future of Vibe? Hovercrafts. <laughs> More hovercrafts. <laughs> I can't wait. You know, we have our, uh, our plans over the next couple of years. Right now, uh, the future, we're just looking towards the immediate future. We've got that Shearwater launching in March. <clears throat> and as much as gone into that boat, 
you can imagine that's uh, 100% of our focus right now is uh, making sure that's a successful launch and getting as many of them into our customers' hands as possible. I can already feel the uh, the pressure. The demand is substantially higher than what we expected it to be. We knew it would be high. I mean, it's a, it's such an amazing machine with all sorts of uh, features and, and just a well-thought-out piece of machinery. We have an idea of what our demand is based on our five years sales history. We don't have enough. <laughs> I can tell you that already. Yeah. So we're... Uh, I'm heading back to the factory uh, in 10 days and I'll be there for three or four weeks and doing what we can to increase our production capacity and make sure we have enough for March. Wow. Wow. Well, that's cool, man. That's a that's quite a story of, um, obviously, you know, when I talk to people about entrepreneurship, usually it comes with a lot of risk. You said about five times that you're not a risk taker and you managed to do this without, without, a lot of risk, which I think is a is an interesting angle to this story that so many people that that send me emails and it's all about like, I want to do this, I want to do that. And basically, my advice to them has been, well, kind of need to burn the boats and you got to go for it. But you know what? OK, so you have a very valid point. When I say I don't take risks, meaning it's not just caution of the wind gambling. It's uh, it's very calculated. It's very meticulous, very detailed uh, business plan, uh, having a clear understanding of because once you decide to move forward on it, now you're all in. Yeah. And, and when I, I mean all in. So it's a the one saving grace I had was I had the ability to keep my other job and not have to draw draw anything from Vibe until it was 100 percent sustainable. Right. That was one luxury that I had. Uh, that I understand a lot of people don't necessarily have that. That being said, even then, if that, once we pulled the trigger on it, if I didn't work, uh, it would not have been pretty. I, I would have had a job, but, you know, there's there's personal guarantees, right? There's a, you start, yeah, it's, right. uh, there's its own risks. That's that's a big, that's a big part of starting any kind of business, I think, is 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 the commitment. And really, the that's a big part of, of really accomplishing anything worthwhile, I think, is, is being all in and being to the point of like, there's no, uh, there's no option like burning the boats. Like it's not a, probably not a, maybe it's like break a leg and, and act. Right, maybe right. is that something you're supposed to say at a, at a boat company? <laughs> right, like, <run>. Please don't <laughs> <laughs> burn the boats. But you know, you, a lot of, a lot of people that have either become fishing guides that, that I've talked to or have somehow, made a transition in their life and and moved into the outdoor space in some way, shape or form, have all encountered that that place of whether they have a, a, a job that's paying some of the bills or they're just going to just flat out quit because they can't stand it anymore and they're going to do something that they love. And and literally some people have said, you know, I'd rather I would rather live under a bridge than continue to do what I was doing. I'd rather live under a bridge and do what I love or be part of something that I love right. than continue down this this soul-crushing, soul-stealing career path right. that I was on, right? Sitting in a, in a cubicle, working for somebody that you don't particularly like, doing something that you don't have any, you don't believe in, right? That seems like a terrible way to live your life. But a lot of people have come to this point of, Okay, now's the time. Like, I'm going for it, and I'm completely committed, and I'm in. So that's that's I like that that part of it. When I think about 
how we've done a couple of other side businesses as well, it certainly was very beneficial that there was a a source of income coming in from another business that you could, you know, not necessarily leverage, but it was there. But at some point, you got to go all in. Right. Yeah. So has your um, family always been supportive of of going all in? Yeah. I hesitated, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think so. You, I mean, met, you met my wife uh, earlier <laughs> yeah. when she came by. Um, so I've always been a, a workaholic. Um, I think uh, my spirit animal is probably a, a donkey or a pack mule. That's uh, <laughs> kind of what I do. So she married into it. I've always been that way. I've always been um, I'm terrible with, uh, with expressions. What is it? Um, uh, nose to the grindstone. grindstone. Yeah. I'm a nose to the grindstone kind of guy. So um, whether it's designing magazines or running catalog production cycles or building kayaks or doing vibe, like from their side of things, it's um, nothing's really different on the work front, but they are hardcore kayak enthusiasts, um, both my wife and both my daughters. So um, they're like, well, this is a lot more fun, right? So like I would disappear for 60, 70 you know, hour work weeks. Uh, my wife hangs out here. Um, she uh, she works up in the shop. Uh, everyone in Metro Atlanta that kayaks knows Miriam, so like they love it. They're uh, it's it's much more rewarding for the whole family with something that they're all passionate about. Yeah. So if we were to draw this to a close, and you were to to blue sky it, I would ask, what is your dream, and how can we all support you? What is my dream? I just told you I'm a uh, nose of the grindstone guy. I don't I don't look well, up. I look well, down. <laughs> right, but you have a vision. You have a vision of where you're trying to go and where you would like to where you would like to be. I want to be able to go fish the keys with you guys. <laughs> that, right on. You can do that right I, now. No, I can't because I'm <laughs> busy with my nose of the grindstone. <laughs> now I would like uh, like to be able to get some of that fishing life back. Like I said, I love getting people on the water, but uh, you know I, I like to get some of my my fishing time back. And there's a uh, you heard some of the, how fast we've grown, you know, 250,000 to 2.5. Um, uh, four years in, we broke the 10 million mark. So when you grow almost 7,000% in four years, you're just hanging on to the back of a bullet train. <laughs> so I've been like trying to stop this train a little bit, <laughs> slow it down just a little bit here uh, so I can stop and breathe a little bit. That's it. Yeah, that, that's my, uh, uh, that's it. So I'm, how can uh, we support you to do that? Buy fishing kayaks. Yeah, there you go. Doesn't even have to be a vibe. I just want you out there on the water uh, paddling and, and enjoying the sport. Right on. That sounds awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. That's a great story of entrepreneurship and just following following your passion and, and, and really working on trying to, to help other people enjoy it as much as you do. It's really cool. Well, thanks. Cool story. So there's also, you have a tagline for Vibe, which is interesting. No drama, just adventure. Yep. So at what point did you decide that's going to be your tagline? Before Vibe, more or less. <laughs> it's, um, you talked a little bit before about uh, the tournament scene and fishing. There's a, we love what we do, right? Uh, we love the sport, but there's a, it could be a bit of bravado, a bit of ego sometimes. It can be kind of a, um, a trying industry at times. It's not all just fun and games. But honestly, I just got into it for the fun of it. So before Vibe, I used to, at the top of the, drama would come up sometimes like oh i know a thing or two about drama i have two teenage daughters and i'm a kayak fisherman <laughs> so uh <laughs> and the drama just adventures like dude guys can't we just get back to the fun of it I'm like let's just enjoy the sport man we all just want to check out sometimes and floating on the water and you know chasing the next catch 
Uh, that should be the time where there's just nothing else in your mind. You're just doing what you do and you're, you're, you're chasing fish. It's just the great escape. This is what it's all about. Right on. Well, we couldn't end it on a better note than that. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for sitting down with me and thanks for the tour. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for and, the time. Yeah, looking forward to getting out on that new boat. All right. All right. See you. All right. Bye.